a word becomes human. John the Baptist tells us why he's not that important. And Jesus throws the biggest rager that Galilee has ever seen. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Hello. Community Church. Like, subscribe, comment, and get the word out there, and uh, yeah, we hope you're encouraged with this uh, series that we're doing in the New Testament. Mm. Where are we at today? We're in the Gospel of John. The last Gospel, unfortunately the last Gospel that we're going to be going through this year, but it is a goodie. It is a goodie. Man, yeah. if, you, if you are excited about the gospel of john you want to dig in more we taught the whole book verse by verse um it's on the gospel community church website gospelcommunitysc.org you go to the sermons 40 hours so you can if you just have like a long weekend and you just need a a friend and uh you want to learn about jesus that's great yeah spend it do it so uh, but the gospel of john man what a great my my personal favorite i know it's like Having your favorite color be blue. It's like uh, everyone's favorite <laughs> is Gospel John. You never meet anyone whose favorite gospel is Mark. He's the Truly. underappreciated gospel. That is true. But, uh, I feel like it always goes like John, Matthew, John. Or no, John, Matthew, Luke, Mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. No. Yeah, it's people who like to like read a lot like Luke, I guess. No. But John, yeah, John is just so fascinating. I do feel like we'll look at some of these themes, but it, it really presents an intimate picture of Jesus. I don't know if that's why I like it so much. Yeah. It's it's simple, straightforward, and I don't know, I feel like you just get to know Jesus in kind of a unique way. Mm-hmm. There's so, so much of his um, speech and so many unique things he speaks about himself. Yeah, there's unique, a lot of unique content. Yeah, like definitely unique content. Yeah, yeah. The others are synoptics. They're like each other, you know, and this one's different. So Exactly. So, yeah. We, yeah, we saw the synoptics. That word means like seeing together. So they're all kind of taking a similar perspective and focusing on kind of a sim- somewhat similar structure. Mm-hmm. 90% of Mark, his content ends up in Matthew. Right. So only 10% of Mark is kind of unique to his gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of Mark is found in Luke. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of overlap between the three. But for John... Only ten percent of his gospel is found in any other gospel. Yeah, super unique. Yeah. So, and of course, there's going to be common things: resurrection, crucifixion. So, there's going to be certain portions that are, you know, very much overlapping, mm-hmm. and you know, confession of Peter, things like that. But in then John, there's so much unique material. It's fascinating. So, ninety percent is u- unique, and so we're gonna we're gonna get into this. We're gonna look at. Um, what what's going on in the Gospel of John and why it was written this way? But it c- kind of matters who wrote it, doesn't? To understand really? stuff, yeah, because you know, it obviously bears the name of John, and we would say John wrote it. Some people have questions as to which John. Yeah, so you know, I'm just making it simple. Is this the John that we've heard about in the Gospels at the beginning of him, like John the Baptizer? No, so not that guy because. He was in at least two pieces by the time this gospel was written. <laughs> Bummer, man. <laughs> but before the story of the gospel is even over, he's dead. So rest in peace, yeah. John the Baptist. No, um, it's it's the apostle John. So this is one of John's or Jesus' disciples. We saw Matthew was written by one of his disciples, Matthew slash Levi. Mm-hmm. And John is not just a disciple of Jesus, but he is one of his closest mm-hmm. disciples. Yeah. So he's part of the inner group, mm-hmm. even from the 12. And so he's he, he's actually <clears throat> witnessing the transfiguration. He's witnessing these key moments. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And so he has this unique view. He's the one leaning on Jesus during the the Last Supper. Yeah, kind of weird, but you know, in that culture, maybe culturally more different. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been to Afghanistan and hung out there, and friends, male, male, hold hands, and yeah. that's obviously a culture very against homosexuality and stuff. Yeah, so so, so interesting. So yeah. yeah, so anyway, but there's it's an intimate picture. Um, in the book, though, he never says, "I'm John. I'm writing this book." So we don't have that benefit. We rarely do in these books of the Bible. Yeah. Well, let's be honest. Even if they did say something like that, um, there'd still be a million critiques yeah. that they didn't write the book. Then it would be proof that it wasn't right. True, because yeah, they're obviously trying to take a fake name yeah, and exactly. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. What what he how the author does refer to himself though. So clearly, the author is someone who is one of Jesus' disciples, who is really close to Jesus. That's clear from the writing, and he refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. Mm. And he does this most, you know, almost entirely at the very end, or I think entirely at the very end. No. So the, we see him mention himself this way about six times. He mentions himself this way as he's leaning against Jesus, like I said, at the Last Supper. Um, and then we see him uh, being commanded by Jesus to take Mary, Christ's mother, as his mother, mm. to adopt her as his mom and vice versa. And so he's to, to care. I mean, that's a huge responsibility right. and a pretty pretty amazing you yeah. know, the portrait that's given. So that's him as well. He's one of the, he's the one who runs with Peter to the tomb to see what's inside. And mm-hmm. uh, he makes sure to mention that he outran Peter. <laughs> so he's he's faster than it. Peter. It would be so funny to see these guys interact with each other. Like, yeah. yeah. And then he's present in the last chapter. He's one of the fishermen. And he's the guy that Peter says, wait, I'm going to die. What about him? Is he going to die too? And then Jesus says, stop thinking about him. Um <laughs> But anyway, so we, we see quite a few mentions of him, and he identifies himself with that disciple Jesus loved. So in chapter 21, verse 24, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Hmm. So he clearly is identifying himself with that disciple. Now, right. some people think that Lazarus is the disciple Jesus loved. Okay. And therefore, he's the author of, of this scripture. Okay, let's just let's just break that down a little bit. Okay, so <clears throat> it's really not based on a lot. It's based on one verse. <laughs> <laughs> so, what chapter? So chapter eleven, the okay. Laz, you know the Lazarus chapter. So <clears throat> Lazarus is sick, and in ch- chapter eleven, verse three, the sisters sent to Jesus saying, "Lord, he whom you love is ill." Oh, okay. So so Jesus loves him, therefore. Disciple Jesus loved, therefore, author um, of the gospel. Let's see here. I got a verse for you, actually. Ah, yes. So God so loved the world. <laughs> so the whole world is oh, man. the beloved disciple. Oh, man. Everyone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, it doesn't use the same exact phrase that's used over and over again, disciple Jesus loved. It's just he lo- Jesus loved a lot of people. He's, yeah. he, that, he, he's kind of known for his love. There's all sorts of ways to misinterpret scripture. Just yeah, so you know. yeah. No. So no, I think the historical record is pretty clear that, and the scripture seems to point to John the apostle being the one who wrote this. Um, I think there's something else I was going to say, but it probably wasn't that important. Well, because I forgot it. Yeah, move on. All right, move on. No. Um, he may John may have been a disciple of John the Baptist first. Interesting. We yeah. It's hard to tell, but in chapter one, starting in verse thirty-five. There's this mention of two disciples that had been John the Baptist's disciples, and they end up following Jesus. One of them is Andrew. Mm-hmm. The other one's unnamed. So, you know, some people think 
because this was included, you know, he was an eyewitness to this. Maybe he was was one of those disciples, but speculation. But his family is important. So he was the brother of James, who was, there's a couple of Jameses in the New Testament, but James, the disciple of Jesus, the apostle. And the, them together are called the sons of thunder. Legend sure. is awesome. Yep. Um, and that's in Mark 3.17. So the sons of thunder, maybe because they were like super angry. Yeah, but rash. John doesn't seem that way in this book. <clears throat> I don't know. Kind of, kind of interesting. His dad was Zebedee. His mother was Salome. Mm-hmm. And he may have been Jesus' cousin. Super cool. It's hard to know for sure. But yeah, so there seems to be a relation there. So what what a fascinating just I mean just looking at a little bit of his bio, like he's a fascinating guy. Oh yeah. And ended up you know doing ministry for a long time. He writes the book of Revelation. He has this apocalyptic vision. I mean, John just has quite the career. Yeah. Quite the career. Yeah, quite the career. I had to hire him. Yeah. Yeah. No. And he was probably pretty young. Most people believe he was pretty young when he was a disciple of Jesus. Oh, interesting. So like a late teenager. That would make sense if he, because this is the, the gospel written last, right? Yes. So that would make sense yeah, that he was young. No. Yeah. No. Well, let's talk a little more about dating. Um, not, you know, not like that. The date of the book. Oh, yes. okay. I, I know. You got to be gotta be careful what you say. Yeah. Um, so when was it written? Uh, around probably 80 or 80 or 90 AD, mm-hmm. maybe 100 AD. Yeah. And you got to think, so Jesus is, is dying in the 30s and being resurrected. So the church is starting in the 30s AD. So if, if you know, John is like late teens or early 20s, by the time of 80 runs or comes around, he's 70-ish years old right so and and historical records seem to indicate he lived to be pretty dang old mm-hmm. so i think that's actually how they phrased it back then <laughs> he's pretty dang old <laughs> but we see a papyrus called the rylance papyrus which is a fragment of the gospel of john that's dated to about 125 ad oh, okay so to have a fragment of the gospel so early seems to indicate that it wasn't i mean it wasn't written in 130 AD, if, if you have a fragment from 125, right, obviously. So it's probably there, already yeah. circulating at that yeah. point. And um, yeah, there's even, well, I won't get into that. But just to say, it was it was probably written a few decades before well, that. Well, there are a lot of people safe. that say like some of the Gospels weren't written until like, you know, second century kind of stuff, you know? Totally, yeah. yeah. And it, then it's like a different person writing it under the name of exactly the Gospel exactly, writer. Yeah. yeah. And that um, is, is a problem, I think. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Liberal scholars, huh? Yes, exactly, uh, exactly. So um, he wrote this book. Some, you know, we don't really know where it was written, but a lot of people think Ephesus. There's a lot of church history that seems to place him there mm-hmm. toward the end of his life. And so um, Irenaeus actually s- said that he wrote the gospel in Ephesus. I don't know that. So I don't know. I mean, Irenaeus was really <laughs> close to the source, and so he probably knows better than I do. So that's the, kind of the best guess that I could I could put on it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Oh, and wh- why was it written? Yeah, this is like like we talked about unique thrusts and themes within each gospel. Each one has one. Um, what's John's? And it's you know it's totally different than content wise. But, yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, like when these gospels give us a clear statement as to their purpose, mm-hmm. it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. So, chapter twenty, verse thirty, is always pointed to as the. Mm-hmm. Even in my ESV, it says the heading that was put in by the editor, the purpose of this book. So that's great. <laughs> I think it's a great heading. Uh, verse 30 of chapter 20, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mm. So a lot of key words, which we'll get to in a second here. Life through Jesus, belief in Jesus, mm-hmm. belief, believing is mentioned twice in that key verse, and signs. Mm. So obviously it's the identity of Jesus, who he is, but also the miracles that he does that point us to why we should believe so that we can have life. Mm. So these are a lot of key terms in the Gospel of, of John. Awesome. Love it. Um, are we getting into the book or are we going to talk more about uh, themes and stuff? we got to talk think? about the themes, dude. Oh, okay. Come on okay. now. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking time. You never know. No. Okay. Themes. Let's start with this, this one. Love. Yeah, themes. Yes. Love. Love is a big theme. So John yeah. is actually known as the Apostle of Love. Mm. See, that would be great like for, uh, I don't know, like a call line of like, I'll solve your problems. Yeah, like a marriage counselor. The apostle of love. Yeah. Uh, yes, so he's known at that. I mean, he mentions love so many times, 143 times in this gospel. Really? It's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah, amazing amount of, amount of references. <laughs> he also is hyper-focused on truth. So mm-hmm. truth is mentioned 45 times mm-hmm. in the gospel. These are, these are, I mean, majorly, we said like Luke mentions salvation a lot. <laughs> he doesn't get anywhere close to these kinds of references right. to salvation. I mean, these are, this is a big focus. Light is mentioned 72 times Crazy. in the gospel. And, uh, and he's really focused too about the heavenly versus the earthly. Mm. So there'll be a lot of comparisons like there's, you know, this water, chapter four, right? This water, you have to drink again, but the water that I give. Yeah. So the heavenly water gives you what you need forever, or the bread. Yeah. This bread is, you know, nothing but the heavenly bread is me. Right. So he's, he's doing that a lot, this kind of contrast between earthly and heavenly. So hmm. notice that as you read. There's um, this word signs is super important, as hmm. I just mentioned in this key verse here. So miracles in the scripture are they play an important role, but he doesn't use the normal word for miracle. Mm-hmm. And a miracle we think of as you know incredible act, but signs that word indicates that the miracle is meant to point to something else. Right. So you can think of it kind of literally as a sign. Right. So it, it's the sign is not the point; it's what it's pointing to. That's right. the point. So we'll see that, and actually, the whole book is built around these seven signs that kind he does. Of book of signs, yeah. Yeah, and then faith and belief. Belief is a, is a big theme. It's mentioned 98 times. Crazy. So he really wants you to believe yeah. in Jesus. And so he's constantly dealing with belief, the reality of belief, what you're believing in. Hmm. And uh, he wants you to know a truth that you can believe in that gives you life. That's right. what he's all about. Yep. And then, of course, we've mentioned you know different emphases in terms of the identity of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, clearly the emphasis is on his divinity. Mm-hmm. He's still speaks to the humanity of Christ and his servanthood and his kingship, all those things, but clearly a, a major focus is on his divinity. Yep. So that'll that'll be good. And then, like I said, it's an intimate gospel that focuses on personal moments. Awesome. Long section on the, the Last Supper where there's this prolonged mm-hmm. you know, monologue of Jesus. Yep. Very cool. Um, how is the book structured? Outline? Very, yeah, very yeah. simple structure that... It, it, there's different ways of structure, but this is kind of a simple classic structure would be there's a prologue, mm-hmm. the first 18 verses, all right, so one, uh, chapter one, that's the prologue, and then second half of chapter one all the way through the end of chapter 12 is called the Book of Signs, mm-hmm. so it records the seven miracles of Jesus in his ministry. They're selected carefully, and probably that number seven has significance, mm-hmm. right, going back to creation and in other parts of Old Testament. And then chapters 13 and 20 is known as the Book of Glory, 
So it, it recounts Passion Week, really. So it's his Last Supper. It's chapters and chapters of him talking about the Holy Spirit in the Last Supper. And then he goes to the cross and is killed and resurrected. And the book kind of seems to end where I just read, right? The end of chapter 20. It kind of seems like that's the end of it. And then we have an epilogue. Mm-hmm. So chapter 21 is this epilogue. It really is helpful in a lot of ways. So we'll Very get there cool. when we get there. But Awesome. So um, let's let's get into it. Sweet. So much here, right? Uh, I love I love the, the the first verse. It's so iconic, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Mm. So I love this because Mark, as we saw, starts his book in the action in the ministry of Jesus. Right? Jesus is thirty years old. He's he's doing his thing. Um, Matthew traces his lineage all the way back to Abraham. So right. Matthew's like, we're gonna go back here. Luke one ups Matthew by going all the way back to Adam, Adam, and God. Yeah, like so said, like, how can Adam. you beat that? But then John one ups all of them by going back to eternity past. Yeah, the preexistent Son of God, the preincarnate Word. And so, yeah, it's a pretty baller move. Pretty, pretty smart. Good job, John. Yeah, just to show them all up. <laughs> and he speaks of him as the Word. What is it? Why does he use the word Word? We could talk about this for a long time, but the Greek word that he uses here is, is logos. And it, in its original context in the Greek world, it kind of spoke to reason. Hmm. So a reason, but almost as a personal thing, right? It's the, the reason behind something. We get our word logic from it. Hmm. So, so a lot of people point to that as part of the reason why he uses this. And really, that's been emphasized for a long time. More recently, though, scholars have begun to say, maybe actually the emphasis here is not on Greek thought, because John hmm. wasn't Greek. Right. So he's not necessarily thinking of the philosophers primarily. Maybe it's actually rooted in the Hebrew Old Testament, hmm. where there's a word devar, which speaks to um, the creation of God, right? So God uses words in Hebrew to speak or to create. Mm-hmm. And eight times in, in Genesis, he's speaking and creating. Um, it also is not just a creative action of God, but it's also uh, a, a person. It's personified. So again and again, God's word is personified. Like the word of God appears to somebody, and the word of God says, it's right. like, "Wait, a word says some the thing that was said says something." Well, there seems to be a personification here. All right. Uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess so. that's that's awesome. Like a person, but I even see like more than just words being words. Like in Genesis, right? Genesis mm-hmm. one, you see like a word actually creates something. Yes. You know? So that's pretty yeah. cool. Absolutely. Uh, so that I think really informs what's happening here. And again, we could go on this for a long time, but. <clears throat> The, the word is becoming, uh, is, is, you know, a, a person, a divine being, mm-hmm. and it's the creator, and it's interacting with its creation, eventually becoming part of its creation. Yeah. So we see the, the word creating all things. We see all these themes in the first few verses, right? Uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So two big themes, light and life. Mm-hmm. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we're introduced to this person, and uh, and then all of a sudden he goes to the, the John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So again, not the author, John, right. different John, but he he's the one who came to bear witness about the light, but he wasn't the light. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back to the eternal word and speaks again to that, um, that God is the true light, or Jesus is the true light coming into the word, world, but he's rejected by his people. Mm-hmm. And then in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm. So we see from the beginning that this word is God. So Jesus is divine, and he is 
one of the members of the Trinity, and he becomes flesh. The word there is actually he tabernacles, right? Mm-hmm. We dwelt, dwelt among us. He tabernacles among us. Yep. So it connects us to the Old Testament and to um, the unfolding of what God's plan is going to be through Jesus. He mm-hmm. will be the temple. He'll be the place where God's presence meets humanity right. and bridges that infinite gulf. Yeah, just another, I think, I just thought of it, but a reminder is like we're in the last gospel and we're seeing, you know, what these authors, these disciples, you know, or, you know, uh, witnesses to what happened there. The most important things that they think need to be communicated about who God is and what he's done for us is put here, essentially, yeah. you know. And, um, yeah, what a reminder that we cannot read the Gospels in the New Testament apart from the Old Testament. It's impossible to disconnect the two, right? Yeah. So, like, Christians, we have to we have to be, you know, people of, of both books, you know? Yeah. Um, I, haven't, I haven't met too many people that, you know, don't feel like they need to read the Old Testament. But I do know a lot of Christians that don't, don't read the Old Testament because it's hard to understand sometimes, yeah. you know? So, yeah, it's just so important. Like, the, the stories about Jesus make zero sense without the history before yeah. So. Yeah. Do not unhitch from the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Stay connected to the Old Testament. Um, and then in verse 19, we see John the Baptist on the scene. And what I love here is that he's, they're asking him, Are you this person? Are you know, the Christ or the prophet <laughs> yeah. Elijah? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And I love that. He's just like very clear on who he's not. Yeah. And then they ask, Well, then who are you? And he says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice. <laughs> and a voice is such a like, it's a d- disembodied thing. And it only exists for one purpose, which is to lift up the word, right? Yeah. To proclaim the word, right. to make clear the word. And so he really understands who he is. And we can learn a lot from John the Baptist there, right? Awesome. I'm not any of these great things. I'm just one who is is proclaiming, lifting up Jesus. And later he will, at the end of chapter three, he will say, he must increase, I must decrease. I feel and like, then he just disappears. Like it's a great like uh, life concept for pastors. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Some uh, some go astray from yeah. that uh, that uh, call. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. Thank you that uh, John the Baptist did not. Uh, well, we have to kind of skim over some stuff in chapter one, but um, we do see a, a, a comparison at the end of chapter one of Jesus with this um, stair, this ladder in J- Jacob's ladder, right mm-hmm. in Genesis. Yep. Um, he does com- use that kind of language for himself. Mm-hmm which is interesting, but we don't have time to really focus on that. I want to look at chapter two a little bit, because throughout chapter one, there's a mention of days. So it'll, you know, two days later, you know, so that there's there's a mention of days that builds into essentially a full week is what is kind of how it, it's different ways to understand it, but several days. And so you, you have a start of Genesis, or sorry, of John 1-1 that echoes Genesis 1-1. Mm-hmm. It's the same wording as the creation account, and then a, a recounting of days as Jesus is entering into his ministry, and then in chapter two, you have a wedding. Hmm. So I think there's a good case to be made Genesis. that there's a parallel here with Genesis. Yeah. And of course, Genesis culminates in a wedding I mean, on day six. Even the word, like starting your gospel in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's bold. Yeah. yeah. And it's like <laughs> so obvious, right? Yeah. If you were to say like four score and seven years ago, like everyone knows yeah. what, you're, what you're talking about. Um, so he's making that parallel. And then he's saying Jesus appears at a wedding, just like God officiated the first wedding between Adam and Eve and blessed it, uh, Jesus goes to a wedding and he blesses it through his first miracle. Yeah, This is very significant. And it really, again, points to the emphasis in John of the divinity of Jesus. For him to do this at a miracle is incredibly significant. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? Well, he takes water and turns it into wine. And he makes like a couple hundred gallons of wine. I forget the exact number, but I mean, these are huge stone. Yeah, big, you know. 
uh, jars for for washing, and he turns it all into wine. And so he he, as you said, throws a huge rager, um, delicious wine, because he as God is coming and blessing a marriage to begin his ministry, just like just like God did mm-hmm. in the beginning of the creation. Right. So I think there's a lot of significance there. Um, and then we have verse twenty one, um, again speaking to back to. You know, he tabernacled among us. Jesus speaks about the, his body as the temple. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is conscious of this. It's throughout the, the New Testament that Jesus is the new temple, the connection right. between God and man. At the end of chapter 2, it maybe seems not super significant, but there's a transition to the Nicodemus story, which is it says that people were believing in Jesus. There's that one of those key words, believing, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. So the, the word there is actually he did not believe in them. Right. Same, same word, because he knew what was in man. Hmm. And then chapter 3, verse 1, again, that, that break between chapters isn't necessarily helpful. Right. But it says, now there was a man. Hmm. So that it seems to be connected to the previous verse. Right. Now where he's saying it. People believed in him, or they confessed belief, but he knew that their true heart, and so he did not entrust himself to them or believe in them. Right. And then there, there was a man mm-hmm. named Nicodemus. So it seems to be building on that. So Nicodemus is a guy who kind of epitomizes that. Right. He comes to Jesus saying, you know, asking these questions, kind of praising Jesus, and Jesus speaks to his heart, and he speaks about the new birth. Mm-hmm. Such an important chapter on the new birth. So he says, you must be born again. He's speaking to uh, what we call regeneration. Mm-hmm having new life, so not just physical life, but spiritual life. Right. That's how you can know God. And so he challenges him to be born again, mm-hmm. and Nicodemus responds with, well, how can I climb into my mother's womb and be born again? Can't. He's not dumb. Right. I think he gets what's hap- He's He gets it's a metaphor, and he thinks it's a bad metaphor. Mm-hmm. He's saying, you're, t- you're using a metaphor that speaks to something impossible. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is essentially saying, you, you get it. That's right. It is impossible for you to be born again. You cannot you cannot have any part in your spiritual rebirth. It can only be done to you as a gift from God. Right. And so he speaks to that in this passage. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Mm. And then he goes on to speak to the freedom that the spirit has to do what it wants to do in salvation. In verse 8, the wind, same word for spirit there in Greek, blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit so it's god's choice to make someone be born again and we as humans don't have control over that mm. that's a hard thing as a teacher of israel to right. come to grips with and so he he challenges he challenges Nicodemus some more to think on heavenly things mm-hmm. but uh well we see that doctrine introduced here well not introduced here but a really key, uh, I guess, text for that doctrine here in the Gospels, that you must be born again, and that points to the fact that you are unable to save yourself. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, that's flushed out through the rest of the Old Testament, too. What happens in our boy Nicodemus? What happens to him? Yeah, so he will appear later. Yes. You got to be patient. He, yeah. will, he will appear later. Interesting guy. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, John three sixteen is in John chapter 3. Who knew? Oh, crazy. My word. Three. That crazy. makes sense. Um, but, you know, key verse there. Yep. And then, as we said, John has this conversation where he says, uh, Jesus must increase, I must decrease mm-hmm. in yep. verse 30. And uh, yeah, and then he kind of fades away. So 
Man, I, I'm I'm excited to get into this because we see these unique miracles of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to dig into this more in coming weeks. Awesome, cool. Any um, parting words for encouragement? Yeah, I, I mean, just to to marvel in the the divine made human, yeah. to consider you know just to meditate on who Jesus is mm-hmm. is there's no better way to spend time today than to think about the fact that the eternal God, the Creator came into human flesh, mm. right? And has, has bridged the infinite gap between us and God. And uh, that's, a, that's an incredible gift. Yeah, that's we should rejoice in that every day. Yeah, amen. Believe in that, if nothing else. So mm-hmm. thanks for joining us. We'll continue the Gospel of John next week, and we'll see you then.